Joining me now, our good friend, Mr. Albat. Are you staying cool today? Yeah, so far, so good. <laughs> I, uh, I've been eating some wild strawberries. Ooh, nice. And they're good. They're so little, though, that I can't <laughs> get enough to... Uh, my appetite remains... And I have a lot of butterflies moving through the yard now that uh, the wind has died down a little bit today. So I got monarchs, uh, eastern tiger swallowtails. Their flight times are probably mid-May to early September in my yard. Uh, clouded sulfurs, they're on the wing from late May to oh, probably early October. They're around quite a while. Uh, red admirals would be about the same time. Uh, spring azures, you see these tiny little blue guys, and they look blue when they're flying, then when they fold their wings, they turn white. So if you're trying to take a picture of them, it's like they're trying to protect those blue wings from photographic evidence. And they're here from late April, probably till late June, and then we get a summer azure that looks almost identical. And then I have some little crescents, tiny little uh, brownish guys that are just so beautiful. And I I can't help but look at them. William Henry Davies wrote, A poor life this is, if full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. And what better to stand and stare at than, than butterflies? Oh, and happy, happy hey. summer, by the way. It is the first day of summer. Did you realize that? I did, and it feels like it, too, you know. So <laughs> I think I I notice summer in a way, you know, we all have different ways we notice summer. It's one of the ways I really notice summer. When spring first gets here, we have spring ephemerals. Uh-huh. So yes. we're walking in the woods, and we see all those beautiful flowers, the leaves and the trees. And now it's as if the flowers have crawled out of the woods out onto the roadsides and prairies and the edge of the woods. And that seems to be summer for me, when all the beautiful flowers are suddenly out in full view. I talked to uh, somebody yesterday. I, w- I was at a, uh, a funeral, and you sit around and eat the funeral potatoes and <laughs> and things, and you talk about everything under the sun. You know, the guy who passed away was... One of those guys, I could sit with him for hours around a campfire, and I swear he'd say three words. <laughs> but he listened to everybody. And for yappers like me, you know, what a great guy. I could just babble on about whatever I wanted to do, and he'd just kind of smile or nod. And uh, so I'll miss him. But I was talking to somebody, and they said their lawn had kind of brown spots where the grass was dying and uh, they didn't have a dog, they didn't know what was doing it, and they said they'd seen crows picking at that area. Well, it sounds like what they have are white grubs, and that's the larvae of June beetles, some people call them May beetles, and Japanese beetles, and their presence produces these dead patches on a lawn because they're feeding injures plant roots, causing the turf grass to wilt and die. And raccoons, skunks, and crows will tear up a lawn looking for those grubs to eat. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, speaking of flowers coming out 
on the edge of uh, woods and things, Dame's Rocket is blooming. It's and so it pretty, Al, but it's oh. such an invasive, though. In fact, I didn't know that when I first moved to the, the lake, or when we first uh, got the lake house, I saw it and I thought it was flocks. So I was like, oh, look at all the cool flocks I've got. And then I read it was invasive, so I actually uh, pulled it all, and I don't have it coming back again. But it is pretty. Oh, and it's from this um, dark purple to blue to white. It has all these different colors. And probably May through July is when we see it. And boy, just as you say, it's often confused for native flocks. But Dame's Rocket has four petals and flocks has five. And Dame's Rocket forms these massive colonies. Uh, yellow goat's beard is something else that's evident on roadsides, and the flowers are followed by seed heads resembling dandelions on steroids. <laughs> uh, cedar waxwings, uh, they're feeding on mulberries in my yard, and I was out there watching them, and a deer came out and snorted in my direction. And it's an alarm signal. It's made by this distinctive sound by expelling air forcefully through its nasal passages. I'm watching dragonflies. I just see it. Here's one just zipping by my window. I'm sure you can all see that. <laughs> and one study found that dragonflies have a 95 to 97% success rate in capturing prey. And I looked up a bunch of things to see how African lions compare. And near as I could figure, kind of an average from all these different writings and research and studies, African lions are about 25% success. Dragonflies, 95 to 97. Hmm. Yet, I'd still much much rather be chased by a dragonfly than an African lion. So... In early June, I watched a flock of trumpeter swans fly over, and uh, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology has reported that molt migration similar to that done by Canada geese is also done by trumpeter swans. A um, trumpeter swan named Lewis might be familiar to a lot of folks. He was a main character in E.B. White's children's book, the trumpeter, or I'm sorry, the trumpet of the swan. I guess it was the trumpeter of the swan, too. Uh, Emily Scott sent me something. It's called Lying While Birding by Naomi Shahab Nye. And it says, yes, yes, I see it. So they won't keep telling you where it is. <laughs> um, I've been a a group leader, tour leader and things, and you're out there, you got the scopes and the binoculars up, and you want everybody to see it. So I'd always tell people, we're not leaving until everybody sees this bird. And I know some lied to me, just so we could move on. Um, Roger Davidson, after last week's show, sent us uh, an unusual baseball hat. He had... uh, Two blue solo cups. And he said the flies are attracted to the blue and the glue offers a resting place. Our best result was 300 plus flies (laughs) during a morning walk. 
Wait, so so glue? Because wouldn't like Vaseline or something work, you know, that kind of thing um, that they would stick in that? Because you're talking about the flies. We had the, list, the listener last week talking about those flies, and I was out yesterday watering Alan, and boy, the flies found me. Those They look like regular flies, and they bite, but they don't leave any marks or anything because I'm not like itching or anything later. They just bite. So what are they, what the heck is they just want a little nip of me for some reason? <laughs> Here they're uh, stable flies that oh. are getting me when I'm... And they they have mouth parts like a little bayonet. Ugh. And they cut the skin, and then they lap up the blood. Blech. And some people, it bothers greatly. Some it doesn't. I always thought I was one that doesn't, but boy, I got one here the other day, and it's still there. It just, oh. um, it itched for a while. It looked like a lot of what Roger had on that uh, is, I don't know what to call his uh, cup hat, but it looked <laughs> like a lot of deer flies on that. Oh. Deer flies are the ones that bother us around the head a lot. They yeah. do that, hmm. And then we swat and we beat ourselves up trying to hit them and we miss them. But the stable flies, for me, they're ankle biters. Yes. Man, they just drive me nuts. And they, uh, stable flies breed in rotting, damp vegetation. Oh. So, hay, uh, compost pile, uh, lawn clippings. And Roger is right. The, uh, the blue attracts flies. Blue, so like a bright blue, because that would be something I, you know, I should try. I would. I have those those farmer sleeves. So you put the sleeves on there, uh, some material, and they're kind of stretchy and they're tight, so they feel cool. So I can wear a, a, a t-shirt, and but my arms are covered, and that helps, so they don't bite you. But I need something that they can put on my legs to protect because that was the part so I tried some off I thought well maybe off will work well no mosquitoes bothered me but the flies did so then I thought well here's some deep deep woods off I thought maybe that would be better because it said deep woods something or other and so apparently I wasn't in deep enough woods because they were still bothering me so I just oh man it was it was miserable I know years ago, Jeff Hahn, who was the uh, entomologist mm -hmm. at the University of Minnesota, said nothing works on stable flies. But oh. I have talked to a lot of people that said DEET brings them some relief. Oh, okay. And you're right, uh, long pants and long sleeves are probably the best thing against uh, uh, stable flies. It was too hot and though for for long pants yesterday oh, though, Al. I'm just telling you. It was you. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and they, they I don't know why they're attracted to blue, huh. but they've done an, a lot of research and stable flies seem to love the color blue and uh, and as Roger has proved, they they like uh, blue solo cups. So they do like the color blue. Well, so if I put like a blue, had somebody following me around the garden in blue, <laughs> I could do my yep. job and they would be <laughs> chasing them. Yeah, you, you have teenagers. What, <laughs> what more would they like to do than be out there protecting their mom and offering their bodies up? We'll so, try that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah see how that yeah. goes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Doug Rubel of Albert Lee said he's been watching a gray cat bird and what interesting and beautiful birds they are, and I couldn't agree more, Doug. 
I, um, I've taken in my jelly feeders now with the hot weather. All I get are ants and uh, flies for the most part, so I don't need to feed them. Uh, Carla Cook of Glenville has trumpeter swans nesting nearby. And trumpeter swans, four to six eggs probably, and then it's around a little over a month, maybe 32 to 37-day incubation. And then they often have a synchronous hatch, so they all hatch at the same time and hit the, hit the ground running or hit the water running, I guess. And then three to four months before they fly, the young ones. Uh, Tim Zank of Lurdal. Uh, Lurdal is a uh, uh, ghost town in Freeborn County. Uh, he's seeing Eastern Street all fledglings. And he was uh, asking what kind of birds they were. I said, the size soft can? And he said, yep. I said, well, then they're eastern screech owls. Uh, eastern screech owls can have a fairly large brood, six eggs. And then the owls can be red, gray, or brown. Uh, Ken Nelson of Clark's Grove says, Al, will you be on the pelican breeze? When? Uh, I I am. It's a pelican breeze is a boat that floats. Well, it floats all except that one time when we did sink, but that was a, that was a long story. Uh, on the Elberly Lake, and we just talk about uh, the history of Elberly Lake, natural history around it. Uh, I'll be on there July third, July seventeenth, and August twenty one. And if anybody would be interested, it's 383-7273. And, Ken, I hope you're listening, 383-7273. Uh, Matt Hazelcroft said he saw his first firefly on June 16th. Ah. And uh, as it would have it, that was the exact, uh, my wife and I were just talking about that, that was the first day she found the first one, and that was also that day. Uh, Cheryl Holzer saw a Hensel Sparrow in Brown County. And I got a funny note from uh, Wendy Hagen, a friend from Albert Lee. Uh, she was talking, there's we have, there's an Albert Lee Audubon Preserve in Albert Lee at the end of Oregon Street, uh, filled with walking trails. It's an old orchard that's been turned into a nature preserve. And they're putting up a, a big sign, and they're going to have uh, uh, one of my photos on there, a chickadee photo. So I'm really proud to be there. But anyway, she she's moved to a new house, and she said, observation. I asked her how the new house was going. She sent me an email. She said, observations at my new house. Someone moved in with me and died. Possibly in a wall can be found by the varmint man. Ah, the odor. One (laughs) woman told me she had trapped a rat in her house. So, boy, that's real. uh, They don't have welcome ladies much anymore, so maybe now you get a dead critter of some kind. How do you get rid of that smell, though? If you've ever had a rotten, like something die because of poison or something, that smell just is awful and pervasive. And and how do you get it uh, rid of it in a wall? Well, you know, b- besides tearing just, the house down, 
Yeah, that'd be about it. You just spray around it, I guess, and Ugh. hope you become used to it, maybe. I don't know. It's it's great when company comes over, like your mother-in-law, and goes, what is, what is that smell? Oh, uh, I got a question for you from a listener that I, I just popped up. What kind of glue do you put on the solo cups for flies? So on the blue solo cups, apparently... <laughs> I, I hope we hear from Roger. I don't Roger know will what let us kind know. Of, okay. Yeah, what kind of glue he put on those uh, blue solo cups that were was so effective? Because, uh, oh. folks, he sent us a photo and it was covered with flies. And I do see a lot of people uh, with hats with like a uh, duct tape. Oh, don't those. they? Don't they put like duct tape or some kind of tape that they stick to as well? I've seen. Yep, and it makes it look like it's a fly ribbon hanging down, (laughs) and they walk. First time I was up, oh, it was around Detroit Lakes that I saw that, and the guy's walking ahead of me, and the first thing you wonder is, why is he, um, like, they're trophies he's carrying on his hand? He swats them, and and here, (laughs) then, of course, he was using it. They would land on it, and they would stick to it. Well, could you use one of those fly tapes and, and wrap it around the opposite way and just be really careful, those sticky tape things? I suppose that might work, too, wouldn't it? It would, but uh, I know me, it'd be stuck to me everywhere. They're messy. I just, oh. Yeah, I'd be tied up in, because I've walked face first in those, being a tall guy, you know, as a kid that oh, used yeah. to go into... Oh, uh, little convenience, gas stations and things, they would have them hanging down, and boom, there I was face first. Uh-huh. Uh, Wendy also said when she first moved in the house, she smelled a skunk. Ooh. So she not only had the odor of something dead, she had the skunk, and then she said a giant black spider came crawling into my living room toward my bare toes. I hit it with a fly swatter, and all of a sudden there were dozens of pepper-sized dots scurrying around. I ran to get the vacuum before they could all hide. By the time I got it hooked up and running, most of them had stopped moving, so I, I hope I got them all. Spraying the entries with peppermint oil moved right to the top of my to-do list. Number four, I have a pair of crows visiting my bird bath. Since I cannot tell them apart, I will just say one brings its supper of dead baby birds to the higher bath, sloshes them around, pecks at them, takes intermittent drinks, and leaves me the remains. Three so far. (laughs) One brings its other food types to the lower bath, sloshes them around, pecks at them, takes intermittent drinks, and leaves. I was hoping for a better quality of wildlife in my new home. It'll get better. It's just, uh, that's how life is, I guess, Wendy, but uh, all happiness in your new home. A listener asks, I I hear that red-bellied woodpeckers are fairly new to Minnesota. How long have they been here? You know, it depends on what we, uh, what we think of as fairly new. Uh, T.S. Roberts, who is, uh, oh, he wrote about birds in Minnesota where, when very few people were writing about birds. And he first observed the bird in June of 1898. And that was in Houston County. Uh, they were found in Goodhue County in 1900 and Minneapolis in 1908. 
There's a 1907-1908 winter record in Rochester. There's a record of a red-bellied woodpecker in the fall of 1908, Steele County. Uh, nesting was first confirmed in 1903 in Red Wing, but Roberts noted the species was likely breeding farther south in the state for many years prior to that. So they are they are new, but uh, you know, 1898. They've been around for a while. So, but there are more of them. They're uh, one of the birds that are adapting to Minnesota very well. Does a bird's bill continue to grow? You know, a bird's beak or a bird's bill, it's made of keratin, like our fingernails. The only oh. difference, I guess, is they don't paint theirs or put a bill polish on or anything. They don't have to go to a bill place in the mall either, now that I think about it. But their bills grow continuously throughout life. So that beak must be constantly ground down via the bird's normal activities. And some years ago, I was talking to a raptor. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know what you call him. He worked at a raptor center. And he was taking one of the birds to a place where they could file down the, the bill of one of the birds. Because the, apparently the bird had got old and it just wasn't as active so they needed to file its bill down a little bit so it, life would be better for it. Now bunnies that, that have teeth that, that keep growing as well and they have to gnaw on things don't they and same with some rodents but that's not keratin is it? No squirrels yeah squirrels have to chew on everything uh, I was at a zoo one day, and they had a groundhog, and it was just chewing on the uh, metal. You know, they said, why are you doing that? Well, it needs to wear its teeth down, I guess. So they all need to do that kind of huh. thing. I think that's why uh, kids probably eat hard candy and things, <laughs> is just to wear their teeth down. So okay. They, yeah. Good one. Is uh, I bet you know, is a butterfly bush good for butterflies? Uh, I, boy, this is a tough one again. You know, a butterfly bush provides nectar for butterflies. So it could be argued, well, it's good for butterflies then. But it offers no value whatsoever for the butterfly or the moth, or moth larvae. Not a single native North American caterpillar feeds on its leaves. Really? Oh. Yeah. You know, so it's and just it's, it's just not really a, a nutritious one or any good because there are some things that are really pretty but aren't necessarily a, the best nutrition for them. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's a, it's a nectar plant. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some states have declared it an invasive plant. Oh. I don't believe Minnesota is one, but I, I I'm willing to be corrected on that. They they just. Uh, you know, and they're a perennial, but I think they need a lot of babying to become more than an annual here the, in Minnesota. Yeah, they're not particularly uh, hardy here. So if you have one, you're right, you have to baby them or they don't last a long time. So that's probably why they're not invasive. And somewhere along the line, Karen, I I ran out of the, I don't know what, the energy or something to 
baby a lot of plants. <laughs> yes. You know, I used to. I did too. Yeah, and all of a sudden I think, why am I doing that? Why don't I just plant this plant that's meant to be here, and then I don't have to go through all this, and it'll it'll be just as it'll be better. That's so. why I've switched to a lot more natives too. It's just it's too expensive to you know. Do you think I have to baby this because I paid X amount for this, and then then you lose it anyway, and you say, ah, forget it. Yeah, I'd cover up a little. Uh, trees and shrubs with leaves mm-hmm. and it just yeah i what my wife found a baby raccoon dead and one she said what would kill a baby raccoon because coyote foxes great horned owls dogs if somebody's listening where bobcats are bobcat oh. adult male raccoons will do it cars, humans, they could ingest a poison. And this time of year, I think of uh, antifreeze leaking from a car. And it has that sweetness that they like. So sadly, that could have been it. Uh, Thank you, everybody. I hope we hear from Roger so he can tell us what kind of glue that is. I (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, it's, it's hard to make good time. Uh, road work is my quicksand. I, you know, I worry about quicksand. It's it's flashbacks from watching too many Tarzan movies during my formative years. It's a mucky nuisance, but it's impossible to shuffle off this mortal coil in the way quicksand is depicted in movies and TV. <laughs> People would they'd get into the quicksand, and we knew they were goners unless a guy with a big stick would come along, Tarzan, and help them out. Quicksand is denser than the human body, so we should be all right. The sinking sand was shown in The Lone Ranger, The Swiss Family Robinson, Lawrence of Arabia, Gilligan's Island, Batman, I Love Lucy, The Blazing Saddles, yes. The Hound of the Baskervilles. You know, but well, a, didn't they always um, say? Rice- wasn't the thing always if you you went in the quicksand, you shouldn't fight it. You should just you know because you yep, go in deeper just- or something. Except your face, I guess. Oh. It, it'll uh, prolong it. Oh, okay. A, a rational man adapts to the path. I guess avoiding quicksand hasn't been difficult for me. I hope it's the same for all of you. But avoiding road work has been impossible. Thank you all for listening. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Uh, Karen, thanks as always. I enjoyed your company. It's always great to talk to you, too, Al. We'll be back again next week. Stay cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.